you, with you, with you, with you, with you. With Welcome you, to With You, you a women's rugby you, community with podcast. You. I'm Suze. I use she, her pronouns, and I'll be with your host. You. Always with you. It's been by far like the highest performance sporting environment I've ever been a part of in my entire life. And that's that's like men's sports or women's sports. Um, and I played, you know, provincial soccer back in Canada, traveled all over the province, that sort of thing. And, yeah. and this is like nothing I've ever experienced, like the level of dedication, the work ethic, the self-organization, the fact that Berkeley's like never been associated with a men's club and is just like fully self-sufficient since, since 1974. It's, it's mind blowing to me and it makes me inspired to come to practice and just give it everything I've got every single time. For our last Saturday of Women's History Month and in honor of Trans Day of Visibility on March 31st, today we're chatting with Grace McKenzie about her experience with the Berkeley All Blues and as a trans woman in rugby. There is pitch talk scattered throughout this conversation and a longer dive into transgender rights, access, and boundaries in the overview section. Let's fill up with empathy that we can put into action to support our trans kin. For timeline context, this conversation was recorded in early February, 2022. My name is Grace McKenzie. I am 28 years old. I play rugby for the Berkeley All Blues Women's Rugby Club, sort of as a utility forward. I've played uh, flanker, I've played eight man. Before that, I started naturally on the wing and was a fullback when I was a little bit uh, more in shape and um, you know, pre-pandemic me, but I'm, I'm really a forward at heart. Um, I just love the physicality of it and being in the rucks at all times. I have been playing rugby for about three and a half years. Rugby found me here in San Francisco. I fell in love with the sport after playing sports for most of my life. Uh, finding rugby was really like a coming home for me because it combines everything I love about other sports I've played. I think important for the context of this conversation, I'm a trans woman who plays rugby, which unfortunately today in the current conversation around trans rights is a hot button issue. And our participation in sports is being politicized to a degree that really hasn't been seen before. And um, we saw that about a year and a half ago in the UK with World Rugby's ruling to ban trans women from the game at the highest levels after us being able to play problem free for about 20 years. And we know that there's no real issue with that here in the States, but it's something that's being talked about. And I've been pretty vocal um, as an advocate for our inclusion because rugby has been honestly a lifesaver for me through my transition and, and my sort of coming of age and my own identity. So I'm really keen on fighting for that to still be something I can access in the future. But otherwise, I'm just stoked to, to talk all things rugby. I've actually been off for about five weeks recovering from a surgery and uh, just getting back to practice now. So, um, you know, the energy is kind of fresh in my mind and I'm really excited for a conversation. Lovely. I love that. Thank you for, that was a wonderful context for all things. And I just want to say thank you for all the, the work you've been doing with rugby for all, because it's, I think it's just been a great way for us to show solidarity in the community and, and to make sure that like rugby really is for all part one overview all blues season is going right now because california starts in like january right yeah so um d2 started already we have like such a long season this year because they're catching up from all the covid um stuff so we started like late january going all the way until like may june ish i think that's when d2 championships are going to be that wtl is, is just I know. That is crazy know, right? long. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, we, we're running like 35 players deep. It's bonkers. WPL is a little bit shorter. They're like just kind of getting going. I think their first game is going to be beginning of March or end of this month, but still kind of a marathon for us. Yeah. And 
that's the case for a lot of teams too. Is that there's been so there so much of the competition of the um, of the league competition is packed in this spring because so little of it was done in the fall. I wonder, mm-hmm. did you did you play in the fall? I, I played in a couple of games. Yeah, we had some off season matches and we were training all through the fall. We just brought a new coach on Hannah Stolba, who um, used to play up in Colorado. Uh, she's absolutely awesome. So she had us training and kind of got into things then ended up hurting my shoulder in a, 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 like a preseason match against East Palo Alto and was out for a little bit healing with that and then had surgery. So I've been out for a little bit. So my season's kind of been broken up, but um, yeah, just, just getting back in the swing of it, like reconditioning and making sure I'm in shape so I don't get hurt again as we're like running through this big, uh, big season. And our team like run defeated right now, uh, not this past game, but the game before we played Reno and we won 108 nothing. So we got like a pretty strong group and we're, we're really gunning for the national championship this time, um, at least on the D2 side and potentially the WPL as well. So that I'm, I'm glad you guys are having, I'm glad you have such depth in numbers and you're having success already. And Berkeley has a long-standing history of excellence. If, if, for, yeah, it does. Berkeley's a very been a successful team in the past, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you guys get there. I'm rooting. I'm rooting for you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been by far like the highest performance sporting environment I've ever been a part of in my entire life, and that's that's like men's sports or women's sports. Um, and I played, you know, provincial soccer back in Canada, travel ball in the province, that sort of thing. And, yeah. and this is like nothing I've ever experienced. Like the level of dedication, the work ethic, the self-organization, the fact that Berkeley's like never been associated with a men's club and is just like fully self-sufficient since, since 1974. It's it's mind-blowing to me and it makes me inspired to come to practice and just give it everything I've got every single time. Did you play for Berkeley before we had, we've gotten to this pandemic? Now, actually, so I started with San Francisco Golden Gate uh, Women's Rugby Club playing on Treasure Island. That was the first team I got, I recruited into. That team sort of dissolved over the course of the pandemic. So a year or two before I joined, and a lot of those players either aged out or went to WPL, played for Berkeley, et cetera. So when I played, there's like a, a couple of veterans who were around, but it was really like a team of rookies that we built, me and um, the co-recruitment coordinator. We had about 25 rookies on the team. And then the pandemic hit and we just like lost the momentum and the steam, unfortunately. It was very hard to bring people back into the fold. And a few veterans that we did have, we all, they all kind of took it as an opportunity to retire. After Gate kind of folded on itself, I did try to get a team off the ground um, with the SF Hogs, the, the gay male inclusive men's club here. We were trying to pull together like a, a gay inclusive women's club and then just didn't have the players uh, from like a veteran side to really get that off the ground. So it got to the point in like September-ish of last year where I just decided I wanted to play high level rugby and needed to be a part of a club that could be conducive to that. So I, I shifted over to the All Blues and you know I played with a lot of the the folks over there anyways either against them or with them because some of our players did move over so it was really easy to just integrate that culture and you know the all blues really stepped up when we were doing the advocacy work against world rugby with rugby for all you know boosting everything that we had they came up with their own trans inclusion policy and passed it as part of their charter Uh, they even at one point through all of that advocacy work out of the blue just sent me a scholarship like a couple hundred dollars just to like thank me for the work that i was doing so you know unlike coming into gate in the first time i ever played rugby being very kind of trepidatious and feeling unsure whether I'd fit in or whether I'd be welcome. It was my first time playing women's sports. 
all those fears were allayed after the fact, but I was quite nervous in the beginning. None of those nerves would be all blues. I knew that they knew who I was. They knew the person that I was kind of bringing to the pitch. And I knew that they, they didn't care about, you know, those parts of my identity. It was like, you're a, a woman who wants to play rugby. Like, please, you're welcome on the pitch with us. Knowing that you were supported must have been just such a great, must have been such a great feeling. It really, really was. And like, I'm, so me and my partner are getting ready to move to Brooklyn potentially in November of this year. And, you know, I'm looking at the clubs out there. I know some folks at the Village Lions, some um, like Berkeley players currently played with NYRC, who's probably who I'm going to play with out there. But as a trans woman, every single time I come into a new sporting environment, you have these like nagging questions of like, do I come out to people? If so, whom? If so, when? If they react poorly, what do I do? You know, like, what are my coaches going to think? What is this player going to think who has this background, who comes from this part of the country? And, you know, those are pieces of baggage that you carry with you, like focusing on conditioning and learning the game and, you know, training in the gym and all these things that people have to do to be successful at rugby anyways. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the conversation right now about trans inclusion, those sorts of barriers to access and barriers to participating in sports are not talked about. You know, this like rhetoric is all about protecting women's sports. And when they say that, they really mean cis women. And they don't think about how hard it is for us to just get into sports to begin with, let alone play at a high level. Like, you know, there's never been a trans woman who played at the elite level of the game in the 20 years we've been allowed to play anyways. So my understanding is that New York is still quite inclusive and open to that. But in the back of my head, I'm like, not again. I got to go through this whole process and come out and you know, face all that nervousness. Um, I'm getting better at it each time, but it's still something that kind of you drag with you as you go to a new club. Yeah, it adds another layer of what, you, what you're what you coming to, because there's a lot of in- intimidation coming to a new club, regard like regardless if you're just a, totally. cis, a cis person. Yeah, I think it is really important for us to truly step out of our own identities, to step out of our own shoes and, and try to understand what someone else's barriers are, what someone else is up against as they move through the world, depending on where they stand. And, and yeah, we need more of that in general, but I definitely agree we need more of that when it comes to transgender rights and inclusion. Totally. And it, like, it came as such a shock to me, this whole world rugby nonsense, because you know, I went through an entire season playing with Gate, never once having my identity questioned. And this is early in my transition, you know, this was like a year after I came out and started hormones. So um, I'm four years in now, and it's a very different experience how I show up in the world. But, you know, like never once did I feel like I was being targeted or ostracized or anything like that. So I saw all of this fear mongering that was happening in the UK. And like, if you contextualize it politically, there is a massive moral panic about trans people in the UK and Britain specifically, like, you know, 450% increase in anti-trans hate crimes. I was just on Instagram the other day and saw one of my friends who lives in London, she got like spat in the face by some dude on the train and just like shit like that is going on, right? And if you look at the decision makers behind the World Rugby ruling, you know, their executive committee these people, 10 of them are cis, presumably straight white men who have no connection to the women's game. And the woman who was on the XCOM hadn't even played high level women's rugby. So, you know, like they're making decisions about a game that they don't have a 
context for, don't have a connection to. And the folks who actually were motivating these changes, if you look at the groups behind the curtain, you know, they were consulting like Fair Play for Women, which is an actively trans exclusionary organization in the UK. Yes, they advocate for banning trans women from women's sports, but they also advocate for like rolling back the Gender Recognition Act in the UK that gives protections to trans people. They advocate for keeping trans women in men's prisons. Like, you know, it's not about sports for them. This is just like a wedge issue for them to attack trans people in general. And that's who World Rugby consulted. They didn't consult, you know, the ACLU. They didn't consult Lambda Legal. They didn't even talk to trans women who play rugby. Like there was not a single trans woman rugby player on the panel of folks who like were presenting and, and doing the decision making at the stakeholder meeting. So when the ruling came out and, you know, like I got connected to all these like Eagles who play and all these folks at different clubs across the country through Rugby for All, everybody was just flabbergasted, you know, because they're like, I played with trans women. I've played against trans women. You know, I've like, knock the shit out of trans women before right yeah. like the whole point of rugby is you can have like a five foot 110 pound scrum half go up against like a 200 pound six foot prop right and we learn yeah. how to do that safely and successfully and that's the beauty of rugby you know like if there really was a problem to be solved here we would see trans women dominating rugby teams we would see trans women playing at the olympics we would see them on you know the eagles playing in sevens and all this kind of stuff and it just doesn't exist because a there's like 20 of us in the states that i know of who play and there's all these barriers to to entry into access to begin with that like the chance of somebody really going the distance in that way is just so unlikely not even considering the fact that the science doesn't support this competitive advantage piece and anecdotally in my own experience like i can give you tons of data from my life about how my athletic performance diminished when i started hormones and went through all these processes not even considering like the disruptions i have to endure for all the surgeries that i have to get and all these sorts of things that you know other folks don't actually think about um, so it was really bizarre and, and kind of frustrating to me but you know i always tell people like they're gonna have to kind of pry the ball out of my cold dead hands like i'm not stopping playing the sport until my body gives up on me um and my teammates have my back in that and i've never experienced different playing in the united states i love that i think we all have that that fanatical bit about us of a rugby where we're just like you will never i can never stop i can never stop totally. doing this right until like my body's done and then i'll find another way to continue in the community right coach so, or volunteer or whatever it yeah is, so. make it make a damn podcast you know whatever uh yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it's it's uh, it's a really special place so i just like i'm with you and thank you for the work that you're doing it's important and yeah we we live in a time where it's it's there's a lot of polarization and, and there's also this like low-key, low high-key authoritarianism going on underneath, running mm -hmm. behind things and small major small minorities of people who have power that are uh, trying to be restrictive about a lot of our lives. Um, and it's not cool. So I'm glad that no. we have, it's not cool at all. I'm glad that we have ways to connect. Like this is one of the good ways that social media works, right? Like, cause there's plenty of bad in it, but there's, this is a good way that we can all connect across the country and across the world to stand up and say like we're with trans women who want to play rugby. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, like 
women athletes face enough challenges to begin with to our participation in sport, right? Like you look at the chronic underfunding, you look at the lack of facilities and equipment, you look at the sexism, the harassment, the discrimination, mm-hmm. you know, all these sorts of things that are barriers to us participating in sports. Like the amount of eagles I know, you know, who play at the highest level of the game in our country who like have to work full-time jobs mm-hmm. in addition to training full-time so they can pay for their like economy flights all around the world so that they can, you know, participate and represent our country. You know, you look at the men's sides and they're not having to do that, right? So they get the funding that they need they get the support that they need and you know when i think about the infighting that these opponents to trans inclusion are trying to sow like that is so far from what we need right now like Mm -hmm. if there are more women who want to join this game and help like grow the game and help advocate for equal treatment and have advocate for us to clear some of those actual barriers like why would you want less teammates less people on your side less people who are going to show up and march with you you know it just like seems so ridiculous and that's why when you actually dig into this stuff and look behind the curtains the people making these arguments and peddling this discrimination they're not rugby players right they're not athletes they're just people who hate trans people and people who have been like indoctrinated into this anti-trans panic that's going on right now and it's like we shouldn't be listening to those people like talk to your teammates talk to people who actually play the game talk to people who care about this right like i get so stoked when i see folks like Alev Kelter like boost our stuff and you know she's a good friend of mine and we've had conversations on instagram about this and she's like why would I ever want to ostracize somebody from this game that I love so much that I came into as an adult after playing all these others to me and so wholeheartedly and I've been able to kind of build a life around it. Like I would never want that to be taken away from somebody else. And I think truly that is the feeling on the ground and that is the rhetoric on the ground. I think what we're missing right now is allies, specifically cis allies in the sport, like getting pissed off, like getting as passionate as we get about, you know, playing with our teams and winning championships and like screaming from the rooftops for the sisters in the game who, you know, we're like a small minority. There's like two dozen of us who play in the States, right? Like even if we were talking as loudly as possible all the time, online, on panels, whatever it was, like we're still just like a blip of sound in this like sea of conversation that's going on. Um, and we just need allies to kind of step up and, and amplify our voices or else we're just gonna get drowned out, you know? And that's what's going on, not just in our sport, but you know, we've seen like over 150 pieces of anti-trans legislation introduced in the United States. Yes, some of them focus on sports as a wedge issue, but you know, things that are really cruel, like focused on taking away access to healthcare for trans youth, you know, focused on, I remember seeing this one in Tennessee where they now require businesses who allow trans people to use the bathroom they're comfortable in to post these like huge red, like aggressive signs, basically warning cis customers that you might be in the bathroom with a trans person. You know, like I saw a segment on Fox News the other day where they were literally teaching people how to spot trans women in public, like, giving them tutorials on how to hunt us, you know? And it's like, there's parts of this country now that I won't even travel to. And I say that as like a white, relatively affluent, you know, passing trans woman who has Mm -hmm. a ton of privileges that some of my other sisters don't. And it just like, you know, 98% of media coverage of trans issues is coming from like vitriol, like right-wing media. And we've basically heard silence from the left or from the center. So there's no counter arguments being made. We're kind of just being left in the dust right now. So. I think if this podcast reaches anybody, like that's the ask I have for you, like talk to trans people, read our stuff and just like 
get loud, get pissed off. Imagine yourself losing access to the sport and what that would mean for you and how devastating it would be. And like mm -hmm. put yourself in our boots and 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 just stand with us because we're gonna stand with you on on issues that pertain to you and you know that are important to to women everywhere. And um, I think we're just looking for a little bit of reciprocity right now. Yeah, well, there's our call to action. It's here, right? Mm -hmm. Right there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. and we're here to help too, right? Like. I, I never say no to answering questions talking about my experience like I say that as a responsibility that I have because of the privileges I have you know like if you're unsure about this and you know you're not settled on the science quote unquote right and you want to talk to somebody who's gone through hormones who's like seen their performance diminish who has the data to back it up and sources that aren't biased and discriminatory mm -hmm. just reach out ask you know I'm, I'm an open book about this kind of stuff because demystifying the experience is the best way for us to build empathy with other people less than one in four americans actually know an openly trans person in their life so if you have no context on what our experience is like i don't fault you for failing to build empathy with us you know but it is your responsibility to get out that bubble and um, and actually connect with folks and learn about their experience so you can show up as an ally if that's something you want to do part two difficulties yeah, I don't think coming to the club was difficult for me. I think there was like a ramp up for me in terms of how serious this club actually is and how like mm -hmm. well organized it was. Like, mm -hmm. you know, going from just run out there and have a good time and don't get hurt and like here's some fundamental skills to like, okay, we have an entire playbook you need to review and like we're watching game footage three times a week and like, you know, it's like a real commitment to this team and I, I love that like it gets me fired up but it definitely was like oh shit you know like if I don't put in the work here I'm not starting you know I'm not mm -hmm. gonna play in this game um and that became super apparent and I, it like fired me up and got me really really motivated and that's why we see such a high level of participation and retention with the Berkeley club it's like everybody else is pulling their weight if you don't want to we've got people who want to fill these spots right like I think one of the hard things for me as a trans person, which is, is demoralizing, is like having to take time off for these really important checkpoint surgeries in my journey. Like I had facial feminization surgery, you know, five weeks ago and I wasn't allowed to exercise for four weeks. So I lost a bunch of my conditioning, mm -hmm. you know, and like I can't just jump back into a game because that's not fair to all the people who've been at practice. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, how do I articulate that to a teammate that I'm not necessarily out with? Um, like, yeah, I got plastic surgery on my face, which there's a lot of like loaded opinions about that for women in general. And, you know, if somebody doesn't understand the trans experience, they might not get why that's necessary or important and i have those own you know questions for myself that i'm battling as i'm going through these processes right but i am doing my best to still participate in the rugby club as a spectator as a volunteer when i'm not necessarily able to be on the pitch so those kind of disruptions are just annoying for me um and have been challenging but i think those are the two biggest ones that i've faced like i haven't faced a lot of other challenges integrating with this club it's been open arms it's been let me pull you aside and help you it's been here's some skills that you can learn from like the wpl players and it's just such a growth-minded atmosphere that um you know i've been nothing but pleasantly surprised with my time uh, with berkeley oh that's wonderful yeah i well first of all five weeks is a long time to be yeah not exercising in the middle of season so you go back and you're like oh i feel like a turtle why am i totally. not running as fast right yeah but um, it's wonderful to have that depth of knowledge for you, especially like you you had mentioned that you have 
are they're trying to teach you lock so there's new positions and there's some technical things for you to learn um and so it's wonderful that you have an open environment of people who have a lot of depth of knowledge to teach you part three forgotten yeah um that's a really good question uh what did i forget oh my god you know what i forgot i forgot what the different kicking to touch markers meant like depending on where on the field you're at like if you kick the ball to touch how far you have to kick it to get like a lineup triggered or whatever uh-huh. so i like had to reread the rule book to just get that back in my head and i think they even like implemented a new rule during the, the off time that i don't fully understand yet and like you know i just keep bugging our scrum half like okay what actually mean, what does this mean yeah i'm not kicking but like just knowing exactly what we're like kind of strategizing for in those yeah. those have been tricky rugby is just such a complicated game to begin with yeah. um you know I've, I've read rugby for dummies like three times at this point so that's one you know just like the basics where you have this muscle memory built up and with so much time off that kind of goes away a bit like you know really thinking about my form in the scrum you know keeping that kind of flat back table you know keeping my core engaged tackling in a way that's not reckless so i don't get injured because that's sometimes a tendency i have like i played american football for a little bit the pre-transition and they te- they're just stupid in terms of how they teach you how to tackle like there's no form to it um so like getting that stuff down like ball control skills handling stuff like that yeah um, all the but it does come back yeah, it comes back pretty quick, though. You know, it's kind of like riding a bicycle and having the benefit of playing other sports in the past. Like, it allows me to kind of build those skills pretty quickly. But little refreshers, I think, have been have been necessary for me to really jump back in pretty fast. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you played football, uh, American football before, too, because I've been on many rants in my life about how dangerous they tackle. Right. And how if they just use rugby form, that they would be more successful as well you know totally and like less concussions like less risk for injury i think if there's one argument to be made that i have when i play women's rugby it's like i played a tackle sport in the past you know and like american football isn't accessible to a lot of women based on the number of barriers um but like the first match that i played in three and a half years ago like i had no hesitation on the wing just like laying a hit because i've done it before whereas you know committing to contact can sometimes be a challenge for like lower tier teams and something you need to constantly work on because you don't have that conditioning um so that 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 i think is what kind of put me in the flanker position to begin with it's like i don't have necessarily that fear so much because i got that out of the way when i was like 11 or 12 and it's Uh more second nature to me um which has been pretty helpful yeah i could imagine it it is fair too though there's just like in in, uh cis women in rugby that there are just some some that have it like from the get and just starting out in college i was ready to hit everything you know, I just had it. <laughs> I was, I was like all the contact all the time. Let me do it. Yeah, but there were, it. yeah, but there were other, the other of my teammates who just needed some time to like work up the confidence or to feel good about their technique or just to turn it on. Like we kind of have, there's a very, very temperament. So, but when you find that player that's got all the fire, yep. Flanker, that's a great place for them to be. Totally right. Just like make them the bulldog of the team. And that's, again, the joy of the game is like, if you're not a contact first kind of person, like there's so many positions you can still play in and make an impact. As long as you're willing to lay a hit when necessary, like it doesn't have to be your primary mode of operation on the pitch. Part four, joy. 
I think the first time I played 8M, which was uh, a couple games ago, was really, really exciting for me. And I got a lot of joy out of it because it felt like the opportunity to be a flanker, yet have the chance to like do offensive plays as well, like pick and goes and like really working with the scrum half and being able to kind of command that like back of scrum, uh, like starting block piece was really, really fun for me. And um, I didn't manage to score a try in that game, but uh, it was just a really, really cool kind of hybrid position for me, which I had never experienced before. And I went into it with a lot of nerves, like without having a background or, or having had that experience and came out of it saying like, yeah, this is totally a position I could see myself being in if necessary, or even maybe preferring in the future if I get better at it and really like build that synergy with the scrum half. So that was super joyous for me. And we played a hard team, like, you know, the team is majority Pacific Islanders, so like rugby's in their blood and they're really, really big folks. And that was actually the game that I kind of blew out my shoulder, which which wasn't the most joyous thing in the world, but I still had such a blast and, um, you know, got to learn the ropes of a new position. Yeah, that's wonderful. Eight Man is super fun. I always had so totally. much fun playing there. And I didn't think about it the way you just described it, but you're right. You have that flanker edge where sometimes your job is just hunt. You know, yeah. sometimes your job is just like smack the shit out of somebody. But uh-huh. at other times you get that that brain, that cerebral decision-making, reading the field um, opportunity, you know, and it's both. That's fun. Yeah, you can just be deadly. Like if you and a scrum half like have that kind of unspoken telepathy going on, like it's, mm-hmm. you can find holes where they don't exist and you can just like punch through defense in a really cool way and set up some really interesting trick stuff. Um, and like, I'm obviously not there yet because I played one game, but um, I can feel that as a possibility if I really lean into this position for, you know, the next season or two. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Were there any off off game, like off the field moments where you felt joy with Berkeley? So we went up to Portland um, to play like Orsu up there or like the WPL side played them. And yeah. I had hurt my uh, knee like a couple weeks before. So I unfortunately didn't get to play, but I got to go up and just kind of hang out with the team. Um, and we all went out together to this like bar, I don't remember what it was called and just like danced and was in the photo booth and like had a really good time. And it was the first time I got to hang out with the, the all blues in like a social setting, mm-hmm. like a very different energy, like, gate was a frat like it was just like (laughs) drink as much as you can and you know I did that in college and I'm I'm like almost 30 now and I I don't necessarily need that to be a part of my life in the same way and I think it actually detracts sometimes from the athleticism of a club and Berkeley was like yeah we're gonna go out and have fun and dance and have a couple drinks but like we're up the next morning doing active recovery and we're gonna go for a little jog and like we're gonna stretch together and you know at the end of the day like it's about rugby it's not necessarily about the partying which I really enjoyed we had a similar um, experience in Colorado too like we played Glendale and actually beat Glendale for the first time in a really long time. And then we socialed with them afterwards, just in the back of somebody's house, like in the backyard. And yeah. It just felt really cool to be in that environment, especially with like super, super talented players, you know, like Gate, it was always like D2 and like bottom half D2 for our conference. Whereas, you know, like watching that Glendale game, I was like, shit, these women are just fucking kick-ass at rugby, excuse my French. And, um, <laughs> you know, getting to kind of hang out with them and get to know them as people after the fact was just really inspiring and very cool for me. Yeah, I do love that, the high-level play of the integration of of being serious about athleticism and then like 
kicking it pretty hard. Right. Like, still, it you don't lose. We we haven't lost the social bits in WPL, and I think that's really important to rugby as itself yeah. and to um, connecting with other players, connecting with people, making friends even outside of yeah. your own club. Mm-hmm. And that so it's so awesome that you guys had active recovery the next morning too because. We needed. I'm in my 30s. Like it's necessary oh, every totally time. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't bounce back in this. Even like when I first started playing, like that's the biggest bummer of this pandemic. Like I, if I was on a roll from when I first started playing, maybe I could have like kept some of that mid 20s youth with me. But yeah. you know, I just like lost it for an entire year, and now I'm like, oh shit! It really feels like I'm in my late 20s now. Like the shoulder injury is still lagging because you know my PT was just not great I need to find a new provider and I'm like man if this was three years ago I would have just bounced back and been able to play in like a month you know um so that's a little sad for me and like I have some pretty big aspirations with the few years left that I have in rugby um you know like I'm gonna say it because I these sorts of goals like I want to play up at a higher level with the eye to eventually qualify for an international test match because there's never been a trans woman who's played at that level. There hasn't been somebody who's capable of being in like a lawsuit against world rugby for discrimination. And like, I would love to be that person, like get blocked from playing internationally because of this shitty ruling and then go to the International Court of Sport Arbitration and like really challenge them on this kind of stuff. Um, So that's what's kind of motivating me to keep playing at a high level and like sign with like really high performance teams like like um berkeley or, or new york or whoever it is um so yeah i just i hope my body kind of lasts uh the number of years that it's going to take to potentially get there i love your spirit i love it <laughs> i love you're just so tenacious you're just like yes and i well, yeah i'm so behind you for this i also just want to say recover that's it just be really serious about your recover be really serious about your prehab like you can do it you absolutely can do it you you have some years left to play at a high level and if you take care of your body it will reward you like yeah and that's that's the plan and like that's one of the tricky things right i've I've never played a contact sport at this level where you need to be able to recover in that way Mm -hmm. and we also lack the resources on the women's side to like really have that like education on how to recover and like have those trainers available and you know the kind of things that like a a club like life west has right where it's like fully funded and has all those resources it's like okay i gotta go do this self-education and figure out how to do this for myself or like lean on my teammates who have been in those sorts of environments before and it makes it just that much harder to like get to that recovery level you almost have to be like an expert in sports science or physiology to really know how to take care of yourself um but that knowledge sharing is just available at a club like berkeley it's really cool like seeing folks who've learned that stuff already and played at that level and they can like walk you through how to do that active recovery and how to really take care of your body and if you want to take advantage of it it's there and if you want to play at a high level you need to so you know that's just an important thing to have access to it yeah, absolutely. It's great you have those teammates. It's just a, a better way to build depth and community too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like workout buddies, recover buddies, hiking buddies, low impact buddies. I mean, there's just yeah. there's so many different um yeah, there's so many different ways to get around it. Yoga buddies, totally. yoga buddies all the way. For real. Yeah. Yoga is huge for the program. I just like it's such a good recovery method and like 
in terms of just prepping your tendons and joints. Like I, I'm a thumb strainer and ankle strainer just from the years I played not knowing what I was doing in rugby. So, yeah. you know, being able to really limber that stuff up before you play and have that be like a focus of your training is, is really important here at least. And that's our show for today. You can find links to Berkeley and also to Grace's work with Rugby for All in the show notes below. Make sure to click subscribe or follow on Spotify to get new episode notifications. Thanks for joining. Much love. Bye. Take care, Bye. You too.